0: All right. This works. Um, We are looking at a series of salvation, Uh, what salvation is, all this entails with salvation. So we did a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Salvation kind of one on one. They were going to get a little bit more into that and uh, kind of look at some of the elements that are involved in salvation. Also, Um, the plan is I haven't talked with him yet about this. But the plan is that for <laughs> the next message um, Padre will be bringing. Um, so I hope to get through this message and then we get to hear from our brother Padre on uh, more discussion of salvation. Um, so today I, I want to look at salvation. I want to look at the paradox uh, of salvation. And by paradox I mean um, it seems to be saying two things at once. And the par- that's what a paradox is. It seems like two things can't be true. Like uh, I am, uh, I don't know how to use myself for a paradox. We'll get into more example later. But uh, the paradox of salvation, meaning that there are a couple of things that the scriptures seem to be showing about salvation that seem upon first glance to be contradictory in nature. Though we know that anything in the scripture is not, Contradictory because it is the truth of God, and there's no contradiction there. Um, so instead of the term contradiction, we look at the term paradox, like two ideas that seem to be different, but looking at what the scripture says. For instance, uh, um, there are other, we call them tensions in the Bible, meaning there are things in the scripture that's hard for us to understand, maybe hard for us to apply, maybe hard for us to believe, or hard to really figure out. For instance, the Trinity. And the Bible speaks about the Trinity. Speaks about that God, the Father, is 100% God, that God, the Son, is 100% God, and that God, the Holy Spirit, is 100% God. And the Bible shows that they are three distinct persons, three in one essence, God. Now, that concept for us to understand is very, very, very confusing, because how can three persons be one are they three different are they you know what what is that concept but that's what the bible teaches and so we look at our scripture represents that and so the concept of the trinity is kind of like a tension uh, 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 amongst us to try to reason with our human brains to understand that um, even god man savior we call it the hypostatic union but the fact that Jesus Christ god the son is 100% god and 100% man how can you be 100% god and 100% man. By definition, 100% means what? Complete all. Complete all. And so if you say, well, there are 200%, it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. It violates sense. You know, so how can God be, uh, Jesus be 100% God, and 100% man? Well, we know the Bible teaches us, the scripture shows that Jesus Christ the God, man, Savior of the world, was 100% God. The the fullness of the Godhead dwelled within him. The Bible also teaches that God was man and Jesus was man because the only way for Jesus to die is that he become man. And so we have Philippians chapter 2. So there are some concepts in the Bible that uh, have tension with them. Some concepts that we really need to pray for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom into understanding those. And I want to present to you guys that In the term of salvation, or how the scripture talks about salvation, there are some paradoxes there. I don't know if it's paradoxes or paradoxi. We need Kelly here with her English to figure that out. Um, Or or Jada. (laughs) The the first one we want to talk about when we look at salvation is the Bible seems to teach that salvation is both an event An event, something that happens. There's a specific time and place, where I can say, that happened. An event. And the Bible seems to teach that salvation is a process. Hence, a paradox. How can something be an event, something that happened, a specific time, frame, space, it happened. And a process, something that's continually going on or has different elements that are going on. And the Bible looks at that. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures. Turn with me to our favorite, our second, our first favorite book, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And like I said, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures today, so keep your fingers ready. All right? As a matter of fact, while you're in Ephesians 2.8, you can take your other finger and put it in 1 Corinthians 1.18. Because we're going to pop over there really quick. And if you've got three fingers, you can go ahead and put it in Romans chapter 5.9. I'm just saying. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> Ephesians 2.8. 1 Corinthians 1.18 and Romans 5.9. I love not just uh, uh, reading to you what the scripture says, but for you to actually turn to it and you can see in your copy of God's holy word where it is. 1 Corinthians 1.18 and Romans 5.9. So, one of the paradoxes of salvation, according to scriptures, is that salvation is an event. Seems, scripture seems to show salvation as an event, and scriptures seem to also teach that salvation is a process, something that is going on. Um, in Ephesians 2.8, Paul says, For it is by grace that you have been saved. E.d. So it's by grace that you have been saved. And so Paul seems to be teaching that salvation in a sense is a past tense. Something that has happened. That's what E.D. means. For by grace, we have been saved. And uh, uh, this is talking about our justification, the idea that we are freed from the penalty of sin. So the penalty of sin, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is what? Who remembers? Death. So there's a penalty, a payment for sin. We have been freed from the penalty of sin, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace, have, uh, you have been saved. So that's a past tense. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1.18. Next couple of books back, 1 Corinthians 1.18. This is still Paul. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, being saved. So that has a concept that it's present tense. I am being saved, something that's going on right now. Hence the the paradox. First Paul said, you have been saved, past tense. Now he says in 1 Corinthians that you are being saved. We look at that as uh, our sanctification. Us being sanctified. And remember from a couple of weeks ago, sanctification has to do with being holyized. So our turning holy or as God is. Sanctification has the idea of being freed from the power of sin. So even though we are freed from the penalty of sin, justification, we still sin. We're still around sin. Paul, Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that we were at the time slaves to sin. I mean, you had to obey sin. Sin was your master. But upon our sanctification, the Bible teaches that we are being freed from that power of sin. So I don't have to sin now. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm now a slave to righteousness, Paul says. And so now, my sanctification, I am being saved. And finally, Romans 5.8, one verse from our uh, Romans Road, Romans 5.8, I'm sorry, Romans 5.9, Paul says, since we have now been justified by his blood, past tense, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And so Paul is talking about a future tense to salvation. So we see salvation as past tense, for by grace you have been saved. We see salvation as a continual present tense process, you are being saved, sanctification, we said that we're free from the power of sin. And here in Romans 5 9, uh, since you have been justified with the blood past, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Paul is looking into the future and says you will be saved. Past, present, future. And actually uh, uh, the, the future tense of salvation has to do with your glorification. We mean we're free from the presence of sin. We will at one time in the future, be free from the presence of sin. Sin will no longer be around us. And that is our future hope, Paul tells us. So this, this salvation is an event and a process. This kind of uh, uh, paradox uh, uh, teaching that the scripture seems to be looking at. And so I want to talk about the scope of salvation. So as you can see, according to this, salvation is more than just I heard somebody say something. I agreed. I got up. I walked to the front. I fell on my knees. I said, Jesus Christ come to my heart and save me, and boom, magically, or by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am saved, I'm done, I'm good to go, let's finish up. The Bible seems to teach that it's more to salvation than that, and I think over the years, um, in the different churches, we've come to understand in salvation, and I know a lot on the Baptist side, the salvation is pretty much the conversion piece of it. And, that, and that, that's it. The, the you, when you made that decision to follow Christ, a lot of emphasis is placed to that. Uh, I know in the holiness church back in the day, uh, the, the emphasis was placed more on after that. So, you know, holy, how are you living after that? And you got to live this way. And so they're different over the years. There have been different emphasis places on it. But look at the scope of salvation. There are several terms that we find in the scripture that has to do with salvation. I'm just going to read through them. Election. That's God's choice of people being saved. The Bible teaches that. The gospel call. For shall call upon the name of the Lord. So proclaiming the message of the gospel. Paul said, how can they hear unless there's a teacher? Uh, regeneration. The Bible talks about regeneration, being born again. Conversion. There's, I have faith and I repent. I'm converted. I repent. I made a 180 degree turn. I was going this way with sin and now, boop, about faith, I'm now going this way. Uh, justification. Justification has a legal term that says there's a debt that I owe, and that debt is because of my sin, and Christ came, but now righteousness for God has come, Romans chapter 3, and because of that I am now justified, meaning that legal debt that I owe has been paid. That's so why I'm no longer legally bound to that. That's what justification has to do with. Um, adoption. We are members of God's family, and adoption in, in, in the Old in terms not necessarily how it is today, meaning I see a kid, I want to help the kid, so I'm going to adopt him. Adoption in biblical terms is more of now I am in standing of sonship. Therefore, I get all the rights as a son. So Jaden is my son. So he has certain rights because he is my son. He has my last name. He has all my wealth and my riches and my minivan. All of that. (laughs) Okay? Because he's my son. something happens to me, you get the minivan. You see what I'm saying? Miguel, on the other hand, is not my son. So, something has to mean Miguel, unfortunately, will not get the minivan unless, <laughs> unless there is an adoption, meaning that I grant Miguel sonship. That means he has now all the rights as Jaden. He can go to the house and go in the refrigerator and sleep in the bed and use the water and one day, maybe, drive the minivan, okay? So, that's what adoption is. Adoption in terms of salvation is that I am now a member of God's family, and so I now obtain sonship. We become joint heirs with Christ. And so all the benefits of being God's son are applied to me, which includes that inheritance. Sanctification, which is the right conduct of life. holyizing. we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, perseverance, remaining a Christian. That's part of salvation. What, how do I remain a Christian? Death. Death is part of salvation. The point of the man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Uh, What happens when we die? And then glorification. Glorification is receiving uh, my resurrected body when I'll be free from this presence of sin. And so when we talk about salvation, I want us as a body to not think of salvation as just a conversion. I want us to begin to look how scripture talks about salvation with all of those concepts from election all the way to glorification. And not look at salvation as just this one time thing, but as an event and a process and a past, a presence and a future. And I think a better view and a clearer view of salvation as the scripture teaches us will help us first line up to how God think st- structure things and then how we should live our life based on that. Salvation. Uh, I, I want to have a core definition of what salvation is. So if you've got a pen and you've got something you can write with, write this down. I might put this out on the web for you because um, uh, uh, it's a lot. But. I want to look at salvation from how I look at the scripture as two things. One, it is a reconciliation to God. Concile. Reconcile. I was once together then I got ripped apart. Now I am back together. Reconciliation means I am back together. When I went out of town last week, I was away from my family. But when I airplane landed, I came back and I met them at the hospital, I was reconciled. I was back. And so salvation is a well, one part uh reconciliation to God, God created man in his image we're in the garden. God and Adam and Eve were chilling back and forth. Sin happened. And when sin happened, we use the term the fall or sin happened. And there was a separation between us and God. And Paul talks about in Romans that because of what Adam did, that thing fell to the rest of us and death came to the rest of us. And all of us are now sin based on that. And because of that. What salvation does, it reconciles us to God. It brings that relationship back to God. So that's one thing that salvation does. The other thing that salvation is, I want to look at, is an inward renewal, the Bible seems to teach. So it's not just a reconciliation to God, We're the wrath of God is on us, we're separated from God, I get saved, and now the wrath of God is removed, and I'm in good relationship with God. That is true, but it doesn't stop there. The other piece of salvation is an inward renewal, the Bible uh, uh, seems to teach. And there's a renewal from something and a renewal towards something. So the renewal from the corruption of my sin. Theologians use the term depravity. I'm depraved. Okay, There's some sin and some corruption inside of me, be it inherited, be it how I am, be it by my choices, be it because I live here. There is some depravity inside of me. And so salvation has to do with the inward renewal from that corruption that's inside of me. So there's something that goes on inside. I'm renewed or I'm being healed from that. And it's an inward renewal toward restoration to the image of God. Meaning I now should be becoming more like Christ. I should look like Christ, talk like Christ, think like Christ, act like Christ, move like Christ, touch like Christ, talk like Christ. Okay, So salvation is restoration to God. I am now being restored back to fellowship with God. But I'm also, it's an inward renewal. It's something that has to go on inside, a renewing. First of all, we have to be healed from the corruption of sin. And secondly, I have to now become more like Christ. And so there is a continual process to do that toward the restoration of the image of God. I think um, theologians have a word for it. I can't think of it now. Imago. Ah. Imago Dei. Yes, the image of God. And so the Bible says that man was created in the image of God. And so some theologians say, well, that image of God in Dei, salvation has to do the re- re- inward renewal toward the restoration of the image of God. And I look at it as becoming more like Christ. Be holy as I'm holy. What would Christ do? How would Christ act? And so salvation is not just this thing. Oh, I'm saved. Now I'm good. I'm back in relationship with God. I'm good to go. No. The Bible teaches us that now there's some inward renewing that needs to go on. Okay, First, that sin has to be purified, has to be cleansed out, has to be healed from that. And secondly, becoming more like Christ. So, so I just don't get saved and I'm done. Um, so salvation is defined as reconciliation to God, an inward renewal from the corruption of sin toward the restoration of the image of God, and is holy. And completely a work of God's grace. Salvation. We have been saved by grace. Salvation is wholly and completely a work of God's grace. And at the same time. An event. And a process. That involves us doing something. Hence another paradox. The Bible seems to teach that salvation is wholly and completely a work of God's grace. While at the same time, the Bible teaches us that we as human persons have some involvement in it. There's some things that I must do based on my call. Now that, my friends, is where thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years of debates, of fights, of criticisms, of slander, of bad words, of all that have originated with just those two concepts. The idea that the Bible seems to teach that salvation is holy and completely by grace and it's a work of God, but the Bible also shows that there is some, they use the term human agency or human power. There's something that as human persons that I must do. Now, depending on what you emphasize, I emphasize the God's part. It's wholly, completely God. Some people emphasize the human part. Oh, you got to do something. Yes, God is involved and you have to do something. Some people say about 50-50. Some people 78-20. Some people 75-25. All of those, a lot of the different denominations and the schisms and isms that you hear today are based on where people apply most or all of their leanings toward. But the Bible teaches us, we're going to look at some verses that show that it's a work of God's grace, wholly and completely God's grace, and it's an event involving some human agency. Now, the problem comes is when someone comes along and says, oh, God's grace has nothing to do with it. Or if anyone says that salvation has nothing to do with God's grace, or that it has nothing to do with God's grace, or that it's not all of God's grace. That's when we start to get away from the scripture or when somebody comes around and says, oh, as humans, we have nothing at all to do. That's when we start straying away from the scriptures. But the idea is to maintain a biblical concept when it comes to salvation. So what's salvation? Reconciliation to God and an inward renewal from the corruption of sin And toward a restoration of the image of Christ. And it is wholly and completely a work of God's grace, wholly and completely by God's grace, while at the same time, an event and a process that involves some human response. It's something that I have to do. The true Christian belief about salvation confirms the gospel. So again, what is salvation? I want to make sure we understand these concepts of salvation because as we go, uh, uh, we're going to be looking at election. And what does the Bible teach about election? And what do some people say? Because some people say, well, we're elected, but we're unconditionally elected. And we're going to get on what that means. And some people come along and say, no, we're not unconditionally elected. There's a condition to our election. They call that conditional election. And some people come along and say, well, we're just totally depraved. And some people say, no, we're not totally depraved. And then some people got say, well, you know what? God has given us his grace and his grace extends to everybody. His saving grace goes to everybody. For whosoever shall call for God, died for everybody. And some people say, no, God's saving grace didn't go to everybody. His common grace went to everybody, but his saving grace didn't go to everybody. His saving grace only went to a specific select group of people. Then so there are many different concepts when it comes to this salvation. What we want to make sure that we stay as we understand and we look at the different ideas are people trying to interpret what scripture says. Okay, we're not going to talk about the heathens. We're not going to talk about the reprobate folks who are going to come and throw the Bible out. We have people who are looking at the word of God and say the Bible seems to teach that salvation that we have free will. And the Bible seems to continually show that we have free will all through this thing. And so if I continually have free will, that means I have free will even when it comes to salvation. So if God, for some reason, puts me in a position where I can be saved. I have a free will to choose it or not, because the Bible speaks about free will. And so I can choose it or not. Well, some people say, no, the Bible also teaches that this thing is all God. God, shows, you did not choose me. I chose you. Jesus said, "Those all the Father has given me, come to me. The, the Bible seems to teach that this is not a lot of Olu choosing this thing, but that God, before the foundation of the time, chose Olu. And when God put that grace on me, I can't resist it because it's grace from God. And so I am now saved because he decided to save me. That's what scripture says. And so all the different concepts that we're going to be looking at are people looking at scriptures and trying to interpret what are the scriptures saying. And so we want to make sure that we understand that as we look at the different views. Oh, that's stupid. I don't believe that. That's dumb. No. What is the scriptural reference that people are trying to look at and explain? The Bible teaches us that man is fallen, alienated, corrupted, and guilty. Romans five twelve. Now you get your fingers ready. I'm not going to wait for y'all. I'm going to keep reading. So you keep your fingers going. Romans 5.12 says this, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way death came to all people because all have sinned. We call it the fall. When Adam ate the fruit and disobeyed God, man fell. Man is fallen. The Bible says that all, in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. We are fallen. We are also alienated. Isaiah Chapter 59, we go into the Old Testament. Look out. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. The prophet Isaiah says, but your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Our iniquities, our sins are separated us from God. We have been alienated from God. So not only have we fallen, we're also alienated from God. Ephesians 4.22, not only are we fallen and alienated, but the Bible also tells us that because of our sins that we are corrupted. Ephesians 4.22, Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, okay, what happened before my former way of life, to put off your old self. What about this old self? Which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Corrupted. So I am fallen, I am alienated, I am corrupted, and I'm not even going to get into Ephesians chapter 2, what Paul says, so as you were once dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world as a ruler, of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature deserving of the wrath of God. And then finally, we are guilty. Genesis chapter three, verse six through eight. You know the story. Eve ate the fruit she gave to her husband, Adam. He ate. Genesis chapter three. Verse six. Moses writes, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and the woman heard the sound of God, of the Lord God, as he was walking the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why? Because they were guilty. Our sin brings guilt. And so salvation is the good news. That though I am fallen, I am alienated, I am corrupted, I am guilty, I may receive, first of all, forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, and according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So though I'm fallen, alienated, corrupt, and guilty, I may receive forgiveness. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. He said, oh look, we're going through a lot of scriptures. I want to make sure we have a foundation of what the scripture says about salvation, because we're going to be getting into some controversial concepts and some topics that are going to be a little confusing. You're going to be like, but wait a minute, what does that mean? Well, I don't know how to take that. So I want you to understand, I want us to make sure we have a foundation of what the Bible says and so we understand what this salvation is. I am fallen, I am alienated, I am corrupted, I am guilty, but God, thanks to his grace, has forgiven me forgiveness. He's also given me reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All and I'm sorry, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So I have reconciliation, meaning I'm reconciled, brought back to God, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We Are Therefore God's ambassadors, as though God were making the appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so though I am alienated, though I am corrupt, though I have fallen, though I am guilty, I don't have forgiveness. I also have reconciliation in Christ. And I also finally in Titus chapter three, verse five. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus 3 5. Paul says, not only I have I received forgiveness, not only may I receive reconciliation, but I can also receive an inward renewal inside of me. There's something that's going to become new again. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. I started at 4 because it's so sweet. But when the kindness of and love of God, our Savior, appeared, hallelujah, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs, having the hope of eternal life through the washing and rebirth, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, and so though I have been fallen, alienated, corrupted, and guilty, I have been forgiven. I can receive reconciliation, and I can receive a renewing inwardly from the corruption of sin. And all this is a free gift from God, and it comes from repentance and faith. So salvation. What's the tension? Well. The Bible seems to teach that salvation isn't a one time thing. It's happened in the past, justification, have been saved, present, are being saved, sanctification, holyizing, and then in the future, will be saved, glorification, freed from the presence of sin. Reconciliation to God and inward renewal from my fallen, alienated, corrupted, guilty self to forgiveness, reconciliation, and inward. Renewal. So that's one of the paradoxes. The other paradox I want to touch on today is salvation as a gift and salvation as, some theologians say, a task. Task has to do, there's something I have to do as a human, as a person, a human agency, a human power, something I have to do. The Bible seems to show that salvation is a gift, but it also is a task. And we talked a little bit about that. When we say it was wholly and completely a work of God's grace, at the same time an event and a process that involves some human involvement. When we look back at history on this, and Paria is much, much better than this, so I'm waiting for him when he starts teaching to really get deeper into this. But when we look into history, we see that this concept, this paradox of salvation being a gift and at the same time a task, something that I as a human person must do. A lot of debates over that in history. And it goes far beyond. A lot of people try to say, well, it's Calvin versus Arminian, or Calvinism and Arminian. Uh, way before that, these guys were, were having these discussions. Way, way before that. Um, and I'm going to get too deep in it, but we, we, we look at a, a, a disagreement between this guy named uh, Pelagius and this guy named Augustine. So Pelagius, on one side, was like, listen, man. Humans are just born neutral. You're not born good. You're not born bad. You're just neutral. So we don't really need God's grace. We don't need God's grace. We don't need God to intervene for anything. You know, we can just, listen, all you got to do is, if you do some bad stuff, just do some good stuff. And hopefully, the more good stuff you do will outweigh your bad stuff, and then when you die, you'll be cool. Pelagius. Augustine came around and said, man, what's wrong with you? No, 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 no. That's not the case. Augustine said that, no, this is all God's grace. This got nothing to do with you, outweigh your good and your bad. Listen, it's totally 100% God's grace. You got nothing at all to do with it. So there was some disagreement there. Uh, 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 Later on, there was a couple of guys who came up in the Romans' time, a guy named Erasmus or Erasmus, and a guy named Martin Luther. So Erasmus was on this side, he said, and then he was on the side of the Catholic Church, and he said, you know what? Okay, Pelagius was, maybe he was a little too far out there. But the point of the matter is, yes, there is some things I need to do as far as salvation is concerned. You know, sure, I need to get saved and I need to believe in Jesus, but I need to do some other things. I need to make sure I get baptized. If I don't, I'm not saved. I need to make sure I continue to take the Lord's Supper. If I don't do that, I won't be saved. I need to make sure that I keep doing all the sacraments. If I won't, I won't be saved. And you also got to make sure you do good works or gifts, works of love. They turn. They're things you have to do. And if you do something bad, you need to come and confess that and go do something good and then it'll all be all right. Luther came along and was like, man, what's wrong with y'all? No, 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 no. It is not works of love. It is by, I'm justified by faith. But saved by grace. That's it. Sure, there are some good things I need to do, but my salvation, my justification is strictly has to do with the grace of God. Then if you fast forward some time and, and, and keep going forward, you get to some other guys. You got a guy named uh, Wesley, John Wesley. John Wesley said, okay, all right, Pelagius, he was crazy. And uh, Erasmus was, well, he was a little bit out there. So I'm going to tighten it up just a little bit. And so Wesley had his idea of how the balance of God's grace versus man's task involvement was. And on the other side of that was a guy named Whitfield. Whitfield was like, you know what, I'm, okay, you know, Augustine, uh, uh, Luther, uh, we're going to tighten this up a little bit. And so, again, but his side was still a little bit more of the God's grace side, more than it had to do with man's task. And so this whole thing has been going back and forth, back and forth for years. There's some cool terms. I might throw this on the web page so y'all can look at it if you wanted to. But there's some cool terms that are out there that I won't spend too much time in. But just to let you know, monergism, monergism has to do with what God does by himself, mono, by yourself. It's belief that God is the sole and sovereign agent or power or person working in salvation. And that even on the task side of salvation, because, again, the scripture does show that there are some things that God does, something that we need to do. And it's about the balance of that or where you emphasize that, where the contention is. But monetarism says that, yes, the belief that God is the sole agent of salvation and even on the task side, even on what you need to do, for instance, the Bible says if you believe and confess, Monergism says that even those part, the only reason you believe in and confess is because God gave you the grace to believe and confess. So sure, you got to accept. You got to do right. But the only reason you can do that is because God gave you the power to do that. Then on the other side of the house, you got synergism. Synergism, synergy, meaning working together. I hate hearing that term at work. People are like, we need some synergism. Anyway, synergism had to do is what God does through us. So the belief that salvation is a In some way, a cooperative act or project where God is, of course, the superior partner. God is the one. He's the one that does the most of it. But the person being saved has a crucial, uh, though he's inferior, has a crucial things that they must do also. Okay, so you have these two uh, 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 ideas that tend to look at each other, go against each other. And then you have the idea from the Roman Catholic side. Roman Catholic side says it's necessity to the works of love, the things you got to do, the sacraments, you got to give to the poor, you got to strive to be good, you got to confess when you do bad, and then the priest will tell you what you can do to overcome that. Uh, 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 You've got that side of it, and then you got the Protestant side that kind of broke off from Roman Catholics that says, uh, oh, and, and the Roman Catholic side, they kind of elevated the works part. you got to do the works. you got to do these things. The Protestant side, they kind of elevate the justification part. No, we're justified by faith, not by works, by faith, not by works, by faith, not by works. It's the atonement on the cross, it was Christ on the cross, and our justification, that's what saves us. And so you got these ideas, and you got these mixes of ideas, and, and all these things. You say, okay, well, this is confusing, it's too much, it's, what, what are we doing? I want you to understand the basis of it, because as we get into it, you can see why over the years there have been all this discussion. What the Bible seems to teach, the consistency of salvation, is that it's primarily a gift which comes from God. But there is something for us to do, even if it's at the least part, Accept the gift. OK, and then people get in debate. Well, is that really work? Like if I had a million dollars and I came to give it to Jaden, is he really doing any work by reaching out his hand and taking it? Is that really work? Uh, he's doing something. I could sit here with the gift in front of me. He can just look at it. But eventually for the gift to come from me to him, there's something he must do, even if it's just the thank receiving of it. Okay, Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter seven. I'm going to slow down on these so you can look so you can get there because I want you to see this. We're looking at salvation as a gift and a task, a gift and a task. Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy when I was little, they tried to get us to remember Deuteronomy by saying, do to honor me. Get it? These are things you must do to honor me. Deuteronomy. Come Come on Sunday school. I tell you, I need to go to Sunday school. That's all I'm saying. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse seven, says this. Moses writes, the Lord did not set his affection, his love, his mercy, his grace on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. For you are the fewest of all people. But it was because God, I'm sorry, it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the Pharaoh, the king. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. and He is a faithful God, keeping the covenant of love to a thousand generations, those who love him and keep his commandments. So in the Old Testament, God was letting everybody know, I, I didn't choose you because of something you did. It had nothing to do with you. I chose you because I'm God and I chose you because of who I am. In Ephesians, I'm sorry, let's look uh, why we're right there in Deuteronomy. Turn a couple of pages to uh, Deuteronomy 9, 6. Understand then, this is God talking, that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God has given you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff necked people. So it's not because you're righteous, it's not the good things that you've done that God has given, them, given these things to you. So God was making it clear to the people there. Turn me to Ephesians 2 again, 8 again. Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. And this is not of yourself, not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Bible clearly teaches and anyone who comes around and says that this verse is not true or this verse doesn't say what it says. They are the Antichrist. If I was very explicit. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. The Bible is consistent in teaching that salvation is a gift from God, not of works, so that no one can boast. But that other preacher, if you turn over to James chapter 2, verse 24. So we know that even in the Old Testament, God seems to have this concept that I'm choosing you not because of things you've done, but because of who I am. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it's by grace you've been saved. It's a gift of God. Nothing to do with you. Not of works so that no one can boast. Because we would be boasting. So the Bible teaches that salvation is wholly a gift from God. But the Bible also teaches in James chapter 2, verses 24, and I read it. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do. And not by faith alone. Oh my goodness, it's over, let's quit. Now we have a paradox. Because Paul just said in Ephesians chapter 2 that salvation was a gift from God, not a works, so the man should both. Got nothing to, you, nothing to do with you, nothing that you do or don't do. It's the gift of God. Then James comes along and says that you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And he goes on and gives some examples of that. And so the Bible seems to teach that salvation is both a gift. But something in the salvation has to do with us. It is a task, something that I must do. And to make it even more of a paradox, turn with me to Philippians, Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, verse chapter two, verse twelve and thirteen. Now, as you turn, there, Padilla had a good point, and I think we should start doing that, Padilla. He said, as we go through this series, we should have like some notes or some charts or some stuff because there's a lot of information. And we want to make sure everybody can stay with us and keep us. So. Maybe we'll pull back the, um, the overhead projector and the screen that I bought for $5 mm-hmm. that I haven't been able to use for a while. We we'll can pull that back out and get some handouts or something because I want you to be able to understand this. And, and the fun part of this is trying to do this without but not in a Bible study kind of way because this would be a great Bible study. Yeah. This would be a great Bible study. So I'm trying to figure out how to, how, how, to, how to keep that balance. But the paradox, paradox, salvation is a gift and salvation is a task. Paul kind of just solidifies that in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Watch this. Continue to work out your salvation with trembling and fear. Continue to work out your salvation with trembling and fear. For, why Paul? It is God who works in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Wait a minute, Paul. First you're telling me that I need to continue to work out my salvation. Okay. Salvation is a task. It's something I must do. Paul clearly said I need to work out it. Okay. Work out some of my salvation in trembling and in fear. Why, Paul? For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Wait a minute, Paul. Is it a work that I need to do? Is it a task? Or is it God? And the answer is yes. The Bible teaches us that salvation is a work that I must do, and salvation is a work wholly and totally dependent on what God does. One of these things, that a lot, and there's a lot of issues with this verse. People fight. People go back and forth. But one thing people fail to see, and I hope that we as a body, as we look at the scriptures, though the word work there is twice, that's not the same word. There's two different words there. Remember, the Bible is written, the New Testament part was written in Aramaic, uh, 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 Arabic and Greek, Aramaic and Greek. And so there are two different words here. Though it says continue to work with your salvation from the fear, for it is God who works in you, there are two different words for work. The first one, then, when Paul says continue to work out your salvation, that word there for work has to do with continuing a task, carry it out to completion. Jaden, get the garbage and take it out. He can't just take it out, the thing, and tie it up and take it to the back uh, patio and leave it there. No, continue to the task. Finish it. Take it all the way outside. Open the door. Go to the trash can. Open it up, put it in, shut it Then come back in the house. And so the work there has to do with completing to the end. Carry it out to completion. Paul says carry out your salvation to completion. Continue to do what you're supposed to do. Don't half step. Don't do it a, a, a half job. Carry it out to completion. Why? For it is God who works. Now, the second word there for work has to do with providing the ability, providing the means. Or providing the energy. See that's two different words. And so what Paul's saying is that God is the one who gives you the energy. Who gives you the means. Who gives you the uh, ability. To carry out your salvation to the end. And so we see that the paradox. Salvation as a gift. And salvation as a task. The scripture teaches that salvation is both a sheer divine gift of God. That has been provided or offered to us. But at the same time. It is a necessary human response, accepting it and maintaining my salvation. Paul says, work it out to completion. We're going to stop there. It's a lot of information, but I wanted to make sure that we had a good foundation and we had the scriptural backing to what we're about to look at. Um, we're going to, the, the next part we're going to get to is looking at election. We named about eight or nine things election, call, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, death, and glorification. We're going to look at all those aspects. When we talked about the order of salutis, the order of those, uh, I don't know if we're going to go in a certain specific order or not. Uh, there are different orders. Uh, But I did want to start with understanding what salvation is, what the scripture tells us about salvation, and then go on immediate to election and look at what the Bible says, how we are elect, predestined, chosen. God foreknew us and God has appointed us before the beginning of time to this thing and what all of that actually means. What do I take today? What's, What's my responsibility because of what we learned today? Well, we learned that salvation is a gift of God. And our natural response to gift, it should be, one, to receive the gift. And so I compel all of you to look into your hearts and see, have I received this gift of salvation? And secondly, because of that gift, because of my state of uh, uh, depravity, because I was fallen and alienated and corrupted, uh, uh, corrupted and guilty, God in his grace reached down and saved me. Because of that, I need to give him praise. And because of that, I should live a life Holy and acceptable and pleasing to Him. We talk about the term grace, and grace is free, and grace doesn't cost us anything. And that's kind of true. It doesn't cost us anything, but grace is very costly to God. Because for the grace that I receive, God Himself had to die, He had to endure suffering, He had to endure pain. And so the grace that I receive is very costly because God gave us that grace so freely, though it cost him so much, he gave it to us so freely. And so because of that, Paul says, Romans chapter 4, I need to live a life in respect to the calling that I have. He loved us, even in our alienated, corrupted, vicious, vile, evil, wrath state. He offers us forgiveness because of his grace, reconciliation because of his grace, an opportunity to renew myself and to be like him. That is where I offer him praise. That's why I, when I have those decisions to do right or do wrong, I choose to do right. Or I should choose to do right. Why? Because of the grace that he's given me because of how much that grace cost him and where he took me from to where I am today and where I am going my glorification. Um, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for this salvation. We thank you, God, for uh, the grace that you've given us. We thank you, God, that... Um, you looked that down on us in our, Paul says, that even while we were yet sinning, while we were yet spitting in your face, while we were yet cursing you out, God, you died for us. To offer us the grace, God, and we thank you for that, God. And I pray, God, as Paul said, that our lives will live, uh, will be reflecting of the calling, that we will live up to that calling, God. The grace that you have given us. I pray, God, that you will help us as we go uh, from this place this week, God, that we will live a life representing you. And as we study salvation, God, that you would help us to see those intricate things, God, that you've done for us. And so that we can have a better understanding, a scriptural understanding of what salvation is, and then be able to apply our lives to that scriptural understanding of all you've done for us and all we should do for you, God. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right.